1: it would be kind of funny and dark to just walk out on stage and say, hello, good evening. I have cancer. Any birthdays? How's everyone's night? And so that's what I did. And it just exploded.
0: Thanks to Bambi for supporting my show. HR managers aren't cheap. Salaries average $70,000 a year. Go to Bambi.com slash dreamjob to schedule your free HR audit. Also thanks to Upstart. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, welcome back to the Kathy Heller Show. I'm so excited because we have such a great guest here today. Plus today is the first day of my Abundant Ever After program. So I'm just so excited to sit down with everybody who's raised their hand to go on this journey together into more expansion. If you didn't have a chance to sign up, you're still going to be able to join for part of it because those who signed up... They actually got three programs for the price of one, but one of those programs is called Made for Millions. So stay tuned. I'll tell you more about that on Thursday, but there will be a way for you to sign up for these master classes that I'm doing live, which you'll be able to attend. The Made for Millions program we're going to sell separately for those of you who want just that piece. And I'll tell you more about that on Thursday, but it's going to be incredible. People like Martha Beck are coming in there and Amy Purdy and Jerisha Hawk and Jenna Kutcher. And it's just going to be such a fabulous time. And at the end of every session, there's going to be a chance for people to unmute on Zoom and tell us what they're working with and working on. And we're going to be able to give feedback. So that pitch panel is going to be pretty awesome. I will tell you more about that on Thursday so that if you want to sign up for that, component you will be able to. All right, well, you're all in for a treat because the awesome Tig Notaro is here today. She is a Grammy and Emmy nominated stand-up comedian, a New York Times bestselling author, writer, and podcaster. You might have seen her on Conan, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Ellen, or one of her comedy specials like live Boyish Girl Interrupted, happy to be here. She also has a documentary called Tig and a bestselling memoir called I'm Just a Person, which centers around her experience navigating an extremely challenging year that involved her mom's death and a cancer diagnosis and an epiphany. It's really powerful and raw and vulnerable, and it's also surprisingly humorous. So you might want to get a copy of that. Tig also hosts two podcasts, one that you have heard about on our show, Tig and Cheryl True Story, which she co-hosts with the awesome Cheryl Hines, who was on the show last year. And Tig's other podcast is called Don't Ask Tig, where she brings on friends like Maya Bialik and Rain Wilson and Martha Beck and the Indigo Girls and Ira Glass and Glennon Doyle. And there they dive into whatever guidance they have to share. And both of those shows are amazing, so you can go listen to them. Tig is so kind and down to earth. She's very humble, and it was easy to just see. She has such a big heart. If you don't already love her, you're going to after this episode. Without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Tig Nataro. Tig, I'm so smitten. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm like, this is amazing.
1: I'm happy to be here. I'm I'm actually on an island in a cabin outside of Seattle. So that's actually where I am right now.
0: Of course (laughs) you are, because you're fabulous. And then you would do something (laughs) fabulous like that. Um, Well, we're happy to have you here. And I've known your work, but I don't know. And I want to like dig into your journey a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So how does one grow up to have the courage to get on stage and do comedy, it's like so opposite of how people feel about what feels safe, like to just be yourself and be in front of all these people. When did you know that that was something you're like, I'm going to do that. And when did, when did it start to break for you?
1: Well, I mean, I wanted to, well, I followed comedy my whole life. You know, we watched SNL and stand up and different sitcoms and people in my family are really funny characters <laughs> and um I thought that it seemed really cool uh to do stand up that would that was what really spoke to me you know more so than sketch or acting but um yeah it was just some crazy wouldn't that be cool to do and then I remember in 7th grade My friend who lived down the street from me, she told me that her mother said, Tig could be a comedian or should be a comedian. And I remember it being a moment where I felt seen and validated in this way. Yeah, you Um, sure were. Because I was just essentially a, a class clown up until that point. And it felt like, and I don't even know how serious her mother was, but it was a moment where I, it struck me and I just was like, Oh my gosh, it it was the most flattering and exciting and electrifying thing I'd ever heard. And in fact, what's funny about my, my friend's mother is that all these years later, you know, I was probably 13 at the time and I'm 50. My friend follows my career and her mother does, and they've been to my shows and, and I've told them that that was a big moment for me, but, my friend has a much younger brother, and uh, he was in the car with their mother one day listening to, I think, NPR. And I came on, and he was laughing at something I was saying. And she said, you know, you grew up down the street from her. And he was like, no, I didn't. He had no idea that he had ever met me or or that his mother had made such an impact on me all those years ago. But, That's really, really special and hysterical at the same time. Yeah. And I, it wasn't until I was probably 24 or something, I saw a documentary, like a behind the whatever VH1 type thing on Roseanne Barr. I was living in Denver at the time and she's from Denver and I was watching it. And I remember turning to my girlfriend at the time saying, ah, I would love to do that. And I think it's the first time I really verbalized it. So and what were you doing then before you started doing stand up? I worked in the music business. I love music. I play music. But yeah, I thought that was a more realistic realistic, yeah. Uh, world for me. Even though it's not even that <laughs> no. quote unquote realistic. Um so competitive. Yeah. But I worked for record labels and marketing companies and I worked with bands and uh, just did whatever I could to be around music. And so I just didn't think being a stand up comedian was at all within reach. And then you went on to not
0: just be a stand up comic, but you're like one of me, you're as successful as it. Like, this is it. This is it. This is what it looks like. So <laughs> when you look at your career, it looks very effortless, but you had to like get on stage and figure it out. And so what was that like? The, can you remember the first like that that season of the first six, seven times you got up and how it
1: felt and how did you do that? That's a big thing to do. It was a big thing. My good friends that I grew up with, they were moving from Denver. We followed each other around from childhood I mean, I basically followed them around. They had their hopes and dreams and um <laughs> college years. And I just went wherever they went to college. I would go crash on their couch or live with them. And, and so I just moved wherever they went. And then they wanted to move to L.A. to get into TV and film. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm moving to L.A. now. It never interested me as much as music and stand-up interested me. Uh, Moving to L.A. didn't, but following my friends did. And so we all moved to L.A. And as soon as we got to town, I saw in the local paper, the entertainment paper, all the different places you can do stand-up. And that really struck me because in Denver at the time, which was 25 years ago now, there was the local comedy club. Where you could get on stage, but that was hard to get on stage. I didn't understand how to make that leap. Like, how do you want to do stand up and then how do you become a stand up? (laughs) And they have an open mic night, but I had heard that the club gave feedback at open mic night and they decided whether you would come back or not. It just all sounded very intimidating. And so I never did it. And then getting to LA, you can get on stage in a bar, in a coffee shop, in a laundromat, <laughs> in somebody's backyard. It it just didn't matter. And so what's yep. crazy to me is that That's people funny. think my you know, beginnings are so outrageous because I started in Los Angeles and they think it's intimidating. Whereas to me, being in a city where there's fewer options, and again, there's- way more options now in every city to do stand-up but 25 years ago it was way less and so seeing the stage time available in Los Angeles made it feel like I could fly under the radar and nobody would know whereas in Denver it felt like people would know I was trying and they'd be giving feedback so I asked my friend Beth I said you know I'm going to go check out every show that I can watch for two weeks in a row. And I'm going to see if it feels like I could do this. And she said, yeah, I'll come with you. And um, so we went night after night after night to clubs and coffee shops and bars. And two weeks to the day, I got on stage at a coffee shop and uh, it was so exhilarating. And it was also horrifying because... I had only been talking to myself in my studio apartment in the mirror and I hadn't accounted for laughs. Oddly, that was the last thing I even considered. And so when I got laughs, it scared me. It was so scary. It was so startling. But it was exhilarating. And I've been going, except for the pandemic, I've been going ever since. And I was sick for a little while. Yeah, you, you haven't you haven't stopped. Mm-mm. Um, you said the word before, like
0: if my friends, you know, I was trying and you're one of those people that like, to me, you just are, you just don't try. Like you're, you <laughs> are funny. Like, and you, and I think part of it is like, you're so real. I feel like, and and even in your book, like it's just very congruent. It's like, here I am being, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to make you laugh. I'm just, I just am this. Um, well, that's nice. Well, that's the truth, and I think you're also very, very likable. So I think people like you right away, and they're like, "I really like her." And then when you are funny, it's like, "I'm so glad she's funny because I liked her. I wanted her to be funny." <laughs> but, but I'm sure, even given that, you know, it's a, uh, it can be sometimes that it's tough, or people don't laugh, or you, or you get to a certain place and then you get knocked down. So I think resilience and courage still comes into play. Like even if you're naturally great. There's mm-hmm. courage that's needed. And so many people who write into this show are like, well, something good happened, but then something hard. And so I stopped. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's very easy for people to sort of like exit stage left when there's like so much in there. So I'm curious how you've dealt with, or if you can remember a moment where you felt resistance, but you pushed forward and you kept doing it.
1: Well, I mean, I felt resistance in many different areas and ways over the years but I also it was mixed in pretty equally with support and you know I felt like the open mic comedy scene was very supportive and it's just friends that haven't or acquaintances that haven't really made it to any degree and you're I don't know it just felt like a very supportive scene that was that was fun to be a part of and Kind of my first social scene in Los Angeles, aside from my childhood friends. I mean, I got pushed back for. I mean, I couldn't get representation. I didn't have an agent until four years ago. <laughs> I didn't have an agent until I was on the second season of One Mississippi. I had a booking agent for stand up, but insane. I didn't have it. I didn't have an agent. But I wasn't sought after because I think people saw me as, oh, she's low energy, you know, (laughs) whether they thought this or not. But, you know, gay, low energy. I wasn't like 20, high energy, hot girl. And not to say that that's everyone that makes it, but people would tell me that Oh, you'll likely end up becoming a writer on a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not a headlining draw. Middle America won't tune in to you on Thursday nights at eight. You know, I've heard all of those things over the years. And oh, and I also, my delivery was too slow and I didn't have enough jokes per minute for a late night. And so I think that. Even Mm -hmm. though there was that feedback, I loved stand-up so much that I just thought, well, I mean, if that's (laughs) my future, that's fine, but I'm going to keep doing stand-up, you know? It just didn't, it didn't really have any bearing on whether I was going to do stand-up or not, because I just loved it so much. And I was on stage five to seven nights a week. It's amazing. It's hard to believe, but not really. But Mm -hmm. all those
0: comments, it's like, you were like, oh, she's too low energy or whatever. I was like thinking about Stephen Wright, like somebody saying this, you know, you'll never make it. Yeah, it's yeah. so slow. Yeah. You're so like, right. like what's, my, what's what makes it so good? Right. Um, But that's the thing with you. It's like weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. I feel like you are so who you are that it was just kind of like a fait accompli. It was like, I'm just going to keep doing this. So you can do whatever, like this will be, because it yeah. is, because yeah. it is. Like, right. I never read the secret or whatever that stuff is, but there's Mm -hmm. all these people like, I want to manifest whatever they say. And it's like, we don't attract or whatever the, what we want. It's like, we attract what we are. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just things that happen that we create. It's not what we want. It's what we are. And I feel like you just are you (laughs) without this, like this limited sort of, oh, but you, how do you stay in that place, that, that like place of center.
1: That's all very nice to hear. And, um, I do feel that way and I do feel that it's also been a lot of different iterations of me becoming more and more myself and comfortable with who I am and what I want. And, um, I often, go back to the fact that I was raised by a mother who encouraged me to tell people to go to hell if they had a problem with me. And so I think that when you have that sort of, and believe me, my mother was not a perfect person, but when you have that type of foundation and support to fall back on And it's not that she was trying to encourage me to just walk around with my middle finger in the air, but just like, although if it was appropriate, she would support that. Yeah, I think that that really shaped me. I mean, it's impossible to not shape me to for my mother. If I came home and said, oh, this person did this, this person said this or this happened, a lot of times was, well, they can go to hell. You tell them they can go to hell. And if they have a problem, they can talk to me, but they can go to hell if, if, if they're going to say that they're going to treat you that way. And so it, it has to be a huge part of what makes me who I am.
0: It's so powerful. And what I love about it is without even knowing that story, you are a stand for that. I feel like mm-hmm. what you resonate. I feel that way about myself mm-hmm. after seeing you perform. Like I've seen mm-hmm. you many times in LA. I walk out without you saying that, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And we've had so many different guests on the show. And and one of the themes that's come up is this belonging. People are so, we will choose belonging over authenticity mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Um. Because we don't want to be cast aside. We want to be liked so badly. And this wanting to be liked thing, we had Ronnie Ware here who wrote the five biggest regrets of the dying. And she's like, people's biggest regret is like, because of what they might say, because mm-hmm. of what they might, how they might react, whoever they is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't live life on my terms yeah. and how awesome and giant that the belonging started for you with belonging to yourself
1: mm-hmm.
2: that
0: like, mm-hmm. I can't try to belong to you. And then I don't know. And now I belong to no one. If I belong to you, but I abandon myself in order right. to belong to you, then there's nothing. And that is like almost the opposite of what everybody is up against. I think yeah. everybody's giving away their,
1: mm-hmm. they're just abandoning themselves in a thousand ways.
0: Yeah, so yeah. What a gift that you can be that for people.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and a gift that my mother gave to me. Yep. No, I'm I'm very thankful and aware of it, very aware. And
0: I feel like in your book, first of all, the title is the best title of any book. <laughs> It just is. I'm just a person. It's my favorite title. I've I've said that it's the best title. I'm just a person. And you talk about so many things so candidly, so raw. And then you started to talk about these things on stage as right. Do you want to talk about that part of your life and how that almost like opened things up to a whole nother next level for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I went back and forth a bit because I felt very compelled and I had, I felt obviously taken down many notches by remember. life because in a four month period of time, I was, um, I had pneumonia. Ugh. And then I had this intestinal disease that's very deadly um, called C diff that was um, eating my insides to put it lightly. And um And then I got out of the hospital and a few days later, my mother tripped and hit her head and I had to fly home to take her off life support. And, And then my girlfriend and I split up right after my mother's funeral. And then I was diagnosed with invasive cancer. And again, that was in a four month period of time. And I, my head was spinning and couldn't quite process things and then you know all the while I'm I'm a stand up comedian and so right i'm you know although i have a sense of humor i was a little backed up with my sense of humor i it was hard to get into real time with it and and find any levity but i had this show booked and i had called the owner of largo in los angeles and just said you know i don't think i'm going to be able to do the show i just i'm at <laughs> a breaking point i was just diagnosed with invasive cancer and and he knew everything that had happened previously or prior to that and he said i think you should keep it on the books just in case you decide you want to get on stage and i was like are you hearing me? I, I I was so confused by his reaction. And then I just said, fine. I said, keep it on the books, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be there. And then as the days inched closer, which was only a couple of days, um, I did feel like maybe I will go on stage. And I was flipping back and forth between, do I just, tell people what I'm going through and try and make light of it. And, um, and I talked to good friends of mine that are very well-known, well-respected comedians that had been in and out of the hospital dealing and like holding my hand through all of this horror. And they were saying, do not go on stage and talk about this. You know, this is, this is not going to be helpful to your state of mind. They were trying to be protective. And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I shouldn't talk about this. And then, and I kept fighting and I was like, it feels so weird though, to not mention it because I was deathly ill. I was devastated to the deepest degree. And I didn't know how I could get on stage and just say, oh, <laughs> you know, I had a weird experience at a restaurant recently um when all the other stuff was going on and so I decided last minute I am going to do it and I am going to talk about what happened and I was in the shower right before the show that night thinking how am I going to walk on stage and talk get into all this and then it came over me that it would be kind of funny and dark to just walk out on stage and say hello good evening how's everyone doing tonight i have cancer any birthdays? How's it, how's everyone's night, you know? And, um, and so that's what I did. And it just exploded, you know, people started tweeting and blogging and telling friends. And I just had no idea that it was going to explode the way that it did. It literally
0: brings tears to my eyes because any, (laughs) any one of those things would be enough to level like any person and Uh would be enough for someone never to pull the covers over and come out of bed ever again. Like those are significant, traumatic, horrendous things. And when you were telling the story, I was also like, how is that what he said back to you? Keep it up. Like, does he have any empathy? Is he listening? Does he have hearing? And like, I know does... he loves me and right. he's a
1: good friend. And he was actually by my side when I was having my uh, surgery after my mother died. He was the one, he, the owner of Largo was sitting in the waiting room with my And aunt. so it was like, it's such a gift of a response. And mm-hmm. then- You doing this,
0: I think it brought tears to my eyes because how many humans don't believe that their authentic full tilt boogie self in the moment would be, would be enough, not only enough, but that it would like draw people to you Mm -hmm. because we all see ourselves in a person who's multi-dimensional and going through lots of real things, but no one usually does that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: ever. And then there you
1: were. So, well, I didn't know or believe that it was going to draw people to me. I knew quite frankly, that there was a chance I was going to go on stage, share all of this painful vulnerability, and that people would be staring at me like, I paid $30 to hear this. So I still to this day feel like I had the exact Perfect people that were in that audience that night. And I, every now and then over the years, I think I've run into three or four of them where they come up and they're like, I was at that show. I was at that show. And I'm like, oh my, I feel like I know them when they come up to me. Yeah, what a, that's amazing. And you
0: then still went through all of the stuff that you were dealing with. And in, mm-hmm. and in going through it, was there anything that you felt like you wanted as a result of going through all of that, like you had clarity on here's how I want to live my life more aligned. Here's how I want to be even more. And then did
1: that impact your work? Well, I remember when it was happening, I kept making jokes to people saying, Oh, you know, I know people that go through this kind of trauma have big awakenings or, a big wake up call and they changed their life. And, and I used to laugh. I just didn't think or feel like I was somebody that needed a wake up call. And I felt like the people around me, it wasn't like my life was off the rails or I was, you know what I mean? Like, Oh gosh, boy, does she need a wake up call? And I wasn't, I wasn't off the rails. However, and I'm not saying this is what people need to go through to have a wake-up call. But it was a wake-up call. And it took me probably a year to realize the fact that it was a wake-up call and to the degree that it was a wake-up call because, you know, you can't help but be pushed to the edge of the earth (laughs) and just held, you know, by your collar and then the fact that I was yanked back and I got to see what I saw and, and I was yanked back and I lived 10 years now since then, it's hard to not see things differently and walk through the world differently and treat people differently and treat myself differently. and But it's also oddly human nature, I'm finding, that you fall into old patterns and I try and wake myself up from those old patterns too, because I always thought, okay, you go through this, you get your wake up call and then your life is different. But what I've found and what I've experienced is you have ongoing wake up calls and you, I think once you have a really deep, intense one, like the one I did in 2012, I saw the edge of the earth and I got yanked back. But because I'm human, I get stuck in these old patterns or things start to get just the monotonous humdrum old patterns. I feel lucky that I have that awareness and I, I try to stay on it where I wake myself up and I pull myself back and I'm like, what are you doing? What, how, why are you, why are you doing things like this? Do you not remember? What, how is it that I fell into acting like this again or doing this this way again? Or, you know, and I used to get down on myself and hard, I was hard on myself about it. And then I just realized that's how people are. But I do feel, I mean, not everyone, but I do feel that bittersweet thankfulness of what I went through. And it's hard to really talk about that in depth because there is the loss of my mother in there. But I am, I'm very thankful and I'm appreciative. And it has made me very aware of the power of connection and communication and to continue growing Whether it's as a person or as a comedian, you know, just you have to keep moving, which is what I had to do in that time frame, you know, and even in the little tiny steps of getting up to go brush my teeth when I had cancer in my body and my mother was dead and I was instantly single and it was hard to get up and do anything, so... It changed every element of my life, to say the least. It's it's a
0: incredible how um you not only could brush your teeth or even just get up and breathe in and out, but that you then brought so much life to so many people during and since that. Like what a incredible testimony to who your mom was. You know what I mean? Like looking mm. like that's unusual that's being a unicorn that's not like surviving first of all is hard enough and then to bring other people up the amount of ripple effect the amount of people that you have touched that you have made laugh that you have helped to believe like it's ridiculous during and since something as big as that it's just it's huge i think you should pull over to the side of your life every day at four (laughs) o'clock and be like good job Tig." you deserve a gold star. (laughs) You are unusual and amazing. And you're an an elf from another planet. Kind. No, it's true. I love this conversation. But before we keep going, we're just going to thank our sponsors. What dream life would you have if you didn't have high interest loans or credit card debt? Would you start that business you've always wanted or move to a new city or start a family? Through Upstart, you can pay off all your existing debt quickly with a personal loan so you can tackle your next big financial goal. Whether it's paying off credit cards or consolidating high interest debt or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score. So instead of just looking at your credit score, Upstart's model considers multiple factors like your income, employment, and other information that you provide in your loan application so that they can find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score in just five minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dreamjob. That's upstart.com slash dreamjob. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash dreamjob. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits and minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. They cost an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, which is spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone or email or real-time chat, and they're going to handle things like onboarding and terminations, They'll even customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day to day, all for just $99 a month. It's month to month, so no hidden fees and you can cancel anytime. As you're growing your business, it's important to delegate the tasks that suck up your energy. And I know for me, that was dealing with HR issues. So I'm really glad that there are services like Bambi to provide this support. Go to Bambi.com slash dream right now, and you're going to be able to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash dream spelled B-A-M. To the BEE.com slash dream job. A lot of the listeners of this show write in with a similar question because they're good people. There's a lot of good people who listen to this show and they say, part of the reason I don't want to be successful with whatever my thing is, is because I feel like if you're successful at some point you lose your integrity. <laughs> like the bigger you are, and you have all of a sudden, you know, you're you own this brand or you wrote a book or you're on stage, like. Do you get mixed up with the wrong people? Do you, does having money make you a bad person? And I feel like you're a good person to ask that too because it's so undeniable that you're a good person. Like nobody, could, I don't, first of all, I don't know how people could not think you're funny, but even if somebody said you're not funny. Oh my gosh, so many
1: people think I'm not well, funny. Well, they're weird,
0: but <laughs> even if they did, there's no way they can say she's not a good person because it's just like, it's so glaring. It's like, I'm good. I'm a good person. So how do you say to someone, that there's a way to be your biggest self, whatever that means, to to show up and have a successful life. Meaning you're making an impact, you're doing all the things that you, you can do without having to then become a jerk just because you now have money or fame or anything like that.
1: I mean, it's... Again, very kind, all of the things that you say, and I do strive to be a good person. And I've, you know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm human, I fall into old habits and traps and have made my fair share of mistakes. But I want to always do better. And I think that Part of moving out to Los Angeles that i not i mean it's really different than how a lot of people end out end up in los angeles and it was really i didn't move there to be a comedian I moved there with my good friends who are still my closest friends. And we've been tight for decades. And the cabin I'm in right now is is Beth's cabin. And she's my childhood friend. She's the godmother of my children. and And she has this place up in Washington. And I think that I feel very connected to where I come from and the people that I love and who love me, my family, my friends. And I didn't Move to Los Angeles or pursue stand up in a typical way or take a typical route. And so I don't feel like I get lost in anything because a lot of the pushback or the side swipes that I've gotten, it's like, eh, well, you know, <laughs> you do your thing, I'll do mine. We're playing a different game. I'm just doing stand up. I remember people would always say, "What is your ultimate goal?" And then what? And then what? And and I would always be like, "Wow, well, then I want to be a better stand up. Then I want to do bigger theaters. Then I want to." But it wasn't a matter of I'm going to move to Los Angeles and I'm going to reach the top, and I'm going to destroy everybody in my way. I happen to have had a very successful career and i love my career and i love getting to do all these different new things and decide oh i want to do this i don't want to do that i this is fun this feels good so i feel somewhat centered in my purpose
0: it makes total sense you know the idea that like going back to that story about your mom saying like they can go to hell like you feel seen, you were seen, you are seen. You didn't need to be, you weren't seeking that. Was like mm-hmm. everyone must see me because I don't feel seen. I need the most people possible so mm-hmm. that I finally feel seen and validated. Mm-hmm. You just are who you are
1: and and that was what was going on. There wasn't that gaping missing piece. I mean, there was certainly my stepfather did not see me until after my mother died, but wow, that's a long time. But I, you know, I love him and and we're close and we have a nice relationship, but it took a long time and not that I didn't care about his feelings or thoughts or ideas, but I think I was more connected to my mother who was this free thinking, free spirited artist that was just like, screw them all, you know? In fact, even to my stepfather, she would tell him to go to hell if he didn't support me.
0: One of the reasons I started the show was to show people a different possibility. And it's nice to see that there's a possibility that you could be in integrity and get to do things on a bigger scale. Like That doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion that the mm-hmm. more people fill up the stadium, the f- you're going to lose more and more of yourself because that's not the case. And I just knowing just a little bit of a sense of who you are, I, it seems as though you probably have friends who are your childhood friends, and also in Hollywood, who you probably found the ones that are grounded and like you who were able to be successful. And I'm not saying that everyone's like that.
1: But yeah, I was gonna say, trust me, I've, I've uh, come across <laughs> a few bad. Apples. Uh, yeah, I have come across a few of those. And I'm also very, you know, quick to get myself out of that. As soon as I sniff it out. Well, speaking of some of the the good apples, you mm. have two podcasts and
0: one of them, because we had Cheryl Hines here, which was wonderful. We mm. talked a lot about your show with her, but you also have Jonas Tigg and you've had on Rain Wilson, Martha Beck. Both of those people have also been here. Indigo Girls. I would love to meet them. Ira Glass, Glennon Doyle, Maya Bialik. So you're already very busy like, and you have two podcasts. What made
1: you think like, I want to do that. and And what do you love about doing it? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I do enjoy talking to people and I feel like it's such a way to learn about others and yourself and it's such a crazy thing that this is a job and that there's mm. a paycheck. It's really something. But um and that You're so is...
0: good at it by the way. I feel like I know I've given you ninety five compliments. But I feel like the way you talk to people is like my favorite thing that you do. You're because you're so enthusiastic about being in that moment. You can just feel it you're like, "No place. I'd rather be. I like this. <laughs> so it's really cool. You're very present. I don't know that you you haven't mentioned that you've done like a ton of
1: like mindfulness or meditation, but your energy yeah. is very. Present so Well, I am sense. interested. I was just telling my assistant the other day that I am very interested in looking into meditation because, you know, when do you hear somebody come out of that and say, I really regret meditating or studying meditation or, you know, that's my biggest regret. Funny. Yeah, um, it's kind of like when I became... <laughs> vegan, you know, I was originally like, well, I'll try this for two weeks and just really go hardcore. And if I'm not into it, the worst case scenario is I ate really healthy for two weeks. I'm not going to, this is not going to be a heavy regret in my life. And then, so I'm vegan, but this is definitely something that interests me is meditation. And my wife and I talk about it all the time. And it's, you know, hopefully it's something that we will incorporate into our lives. Maybe this year. I don't know. I don't know. Well, just cause we're sitting here and maybe the audience will think this is interesting,
0: but I, I spent two years at the UCLA mindful awareness center, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Cause they have tons of classes, but the thing I was going to say is I just bought a week ago. Cause I try to meditate every day for like 30 minutes, but I just bought these two little speakers. They're called now mm-hmm. beats and I bought them on Amazon and it's set to do three minutes. And you listen to these like sound singing bowls for three minutes. Mm-hmm. And the study shows that it's equivalent to doing like an hour of meditation, just if you oh. listen for three minutes. So my husband and I have been like twice a day for three minutes, just listening. And I feel like everyone can do three minutes. So I'll have I mean, my assistant on sh- your assistant,
1: the link. Should be able to do 30 minutes. I One right. of the things that I find so fascinating about what I've read about meditation is that People think they don't have 30 minutes a day to do it. But what I've read is that if you meditate 30 minutes a day, you have more time. The meditation allows, the practice itself allows for more time. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that. And so I would love to experience that because who couldn't use another 30 minutes a day? Yeah, that's true. A hundred percent true. So also I want
0: the audience cause they're all over the world. I want them to know about your tour. So tell us a little, are you on tour now? Are
1: you going on tour? Are you in the middle of it? What's happening because of the pandemic? Where are you at with tour? Oh my gosh. I am so on tour. Well, tonight I'm in Seattle, but yeah, I'm on tour. It's called hello again. That's the name of my tour. And um, I will be going to, A lot of Florida dates, Fort Myers and Fort Lauderdale and Tampa, Orlando, which is Cheryl Hines' hometown, Dallas, San Antonio, Phoenix. I I mean, it's like a 50 city, Chicago, Milwaukee, Madison, Minneapolis, (laughs) New York, Honolulu, Houston, Denver, you name it, I'm going there. So and what can people expect? Like, what are you hoping, let's say this particular tour, what are you hoping people leave with? I'm just hoping people will leave with some joy because <laughs> I, everybody asks about my pandemic material and I honestly oh don't God. really have pandemic <laughs> material. I just, I just want That's people funny. to come to the show and not be thinking about the pandemic and I want them to be lost in whatever awkward or horrible moment from my life that I'm sharing or lost in whatever nonsense that I'm going into on the on the stage and then deal with whatever harsh reality they have to walk back into after they walk out of the theater. But it's personal stories. It's, you know, although I'm in remission, um, I've had a lot of health struggles over the past 10 years, um, but... As far as I know, today, right now, I'm doing well, and I share a lot of those moments. I share my marriage and children experience and stories, and and then also there's just a huge amount of nonsense that's swirled into it all. That's my favorite. That's why Tig and Cheryl True Story podcast exists, As Cheryl and I are, I mean, from the day we met, we've just been just foolish together All we do is laugh. I love her very, very much. She's hysterical. I love her story. Like she was like, yeah, I was
0: getting Rob Reiner's dry cleaning when they, I like went to audition for this thing. That's now been 20 years of my life, (laughs) you know? So the last question, so this is the number one issue that people have is just people have this. I don't think I'm enough to do anything thing. Like, this person's better than me. And I was talking to Deepak Chopra about that on Friday, that like, we live in this time where we're constantly comparing ourselves to what people post or what they do. And then people feel like, why would I write a chapter of a book? It's not going to be great. And there's already thousands of other books. Why would I get on stage? She's already doing it. She's way ahead of me. She's better. That sense of like being a fraud and not feeling good enough is the Thing, I wish I could just wave a wand and take away from people so they could move into their life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, since you've created so many things and you're around creative people, what's your response to
1: that? I mean, my immediate response is, what are you doing it for? Are you doing it for yourself? And, um, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what it needs to boil down to because... As much as I want people to laugh when I'm on stage, I'm not going to say what I think they want or I'm not going to do things that I think people want. I'm going to I'm going to be like, "Oh, this moment really made me laugh and I I really want to share this with people because this is very embarrassing or this is this was horrifying or scary and this is a story I'd want to hear." I mean, trust me, there's people like, I don't know if you're familiar with Maria Bamford. Oh my God. She's a genius. Yeah. I don't even know what word to use to describe her. No, she's otherworldly and she's (laughs) one of my favorite comedians, if not my favorite. She's just brilliant. And sometimes I see her perform and I have those moments where I think, what am I doing? I can't, I'm not Maria Bamford. Why am I even doing stand-up if I'm not (laughs) Maria Bamford? She's the greatest of all time. And then I snap out of it and I think, well, I'm thankful for that inspiration because it is inspiration, but I'm not doing it to be better than Maria Bamford. And it's not because I'm being hard on myself where I'm like, I can never be as good as Maria Bamford. I can't be as good as Maria Bamford, but I love her. I love watching her, but... I just think it goes back to, you got to do it for yourself and not to be better than Maria Bamford or to be more successful than anyone. You just have to really want to do the thing you're doing. And that can only be it. I love that so much because
0: the ROI is like, I did it. I got to do what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, it's only worth the time and investment if this and this and this were other it's like mm-hmm. with no control i mean i i was stunned i didn't know that you were on last comic standing and then didn't make it to like you know and then i read that and i was like because once i i knew you you were already like you mm. but who cared I mean, and some people would have been like, that's it mm-hmm. that must mean you know it was like what is it it didn't matter you were going to keep doing it and and
1: they just clearly didn't get it yeah no, well, and what's funny, actually, about that show is that Kathy Griffin was a, a judge on that. And um, she tracked me down and got my phone number. And she called me and she was like, Tig, this is Kathy. I was one of the judges. And she was like, I voted for you. She was like, the show is rigged. She was like, they cut to to angles of people not laughing or they used different feedback for, yeah. you know, and I was just like, Oh, I'm not honestly. And that's actually a moment in my career where I, I did something that wasn't authentic, but the people that booked that show um, also booked a late night show. And they had told me that if I came on oh, I see. that show that I would be considered for the late night show. And then I ended up not getting either. And so I was just like, what, what am I doing? I would not have normally, and that's no, I don't mean to judge people that have done that show. It just didn't feel right for me. That's right. That's right. So, oh my God. What a gorgeous conversation. You have a show tonight.
0: You have family, you have things. This was so fun to listen to you. I want everyone to go listen to both of your shows. We'll put those in the show notes. Tell everybody where they can get tickets to
1: your tour. Tignotaro.com. That's easy enough. Thank yeah. you for being so great. This was So thank fun. you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're
0: the best. It was so nice to talk with Tig. Here are some of the takeaways. Number one, start by belonging to yourself. Number two, your people connect with you even more when you're vulnerable and real. Number three, wake yourself up from the old patterns. Number four, keep seeking growth. You have to keep moving. Number five, don't get stuck in comparison. Just do your thing. You're playing a different game. Number six, take a few minutes every day to get centered. The practice itself allows for more time. Number seven, you're not doing this to be better than anyone else you're doing this for yourself. Well, I just can't tell you how grateful I am and how blessed I feel that you listen to this show. So, keep coming back because we have so many good episodes coming, and if you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're following along. And if you know someone who might like this podcast or this episode, then take a second and just share it with them. Like Send them an email or post about it on your Instagram. And if you do, tag me at Kathy.Heller and tag Tig. She's at the real fluff Nataro so she can see how much you loved this interview. You're the best. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you Thursday.